Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. I'm your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. On this week's show, we'll have Lee Lakoski on. Lee's the host of The Crush on the Outdoor Channel. He hosts that show with his wife, Tiffany. In 2017, Lee had arguably the best season he ever had in the deer woods. He killed two bucks that scored over 200 inches. Tiffany also had an amazing year. So we're going to discuss food plots, blind placement, tree stand placement, uh, how he goes about patterning these bucks. Uh, So it should be a really, really good show. Uh, Before we get Lee on the phone, I'd like to thank our title sponsor, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, Winsent, Morel Targets, Wilderness Athlete, and Pine Ridge Archery. Now let's go ahead and get Lee on the phone. Welcome to the Drop Time Report, Lee. How are you doing today? Good. Good morning. How are you? Oh, pretty good. You staying warm down there? Well, we're trying. We're as long as we're in the house, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, What's the temperatures these days? Uh, I didn't even look this morning, but it's dang cold. It's below zero again. But heck, it was, you know, I think every day, well, every day for the last week, it's been below zero. It was 18 below the other morning and 16 below. So now, you know, I used to get a look at, oh, man, well, how cold is it going to be? You know, for hunting-wise, you want it as cold as it can be, so it's been great. But, like, now it's just, you just, you just know it's going to be cold. So you don't even bother looking anymore. So I don't know what it is this morning. But it's, uh, it's, it's cold out, but that's where said the rednecks really come in handy for that. Sure. Now, this time of year when it is that cold, do you ever climb into a tree stand or is it redneck blind only? Oh, we do tree stand still. Actually, my buddy Hunter, he was in a tree stand last night. But it's not even so much the cold. It was so windy last night. You know, it was like 20-mile-an-hour wind. So it's like that was just brutal for him. So like, nope, we're putting up a redneck tonight. And I was like, well, you know, even got some ground blinds. And I was like, I got a couple of rednecks on trailers now that are on farms that I'm not using. So I can pull those over there if you need to or or whatever. So, uh, you know, we do still in tree stands. It just depends on the deer you're hunting. If it's in a spot where you don't have a redneck or, you know, you know, it's not, you know, or it's in the timber or something, then we go into stands. We just kind of you go to wherever the deer are at. Sure. So, but right now they're mostly in fields, you know, our corn and bean fields, the turnip fields and stuff. So some of our fields are real small though, you know, that they're going to, and it's like, well, kind of hate to put a redneck, a permanent there on a little tiny field that, you know, you may only hunt for a couple of weeks a year when the, you know, when they're really hammering the turnips or something and or radishes. And then, you know, the rest of the year it's not. So you kind of have them on our bigger fields for muzzleloader hunts normally, but you know, now with the trailers is really nice because I can put those, pull those into little fields and put them wherever we want to, and I can move them around. So those have been really good. So I got those in small fields. So, but kind of wherever I got, you know, wherever there's deer, if we can move a redneck there, great. If not, we should sit in the stands. Very cool. Now, how big was uh, the the biggest buck you shot this year? Which, as far as I understand, it's the biggest buck you've ever killed. Uh, what did he score? Yeah, that was two oh seven. And then you killed a, 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 a really big one like a week or two before, right? That was on October 10th, I shot one. It was just like, like almost 202. And then on November 29th, I believe it was, that was 207 and 3 eighths. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, they're my two biggest ones ever in the same year. Now, were the I know when you're when you're managing a piece of property the size of of what you are, you're able to you know kind of watch bucks grow up in some situations. Um, have you been watching those two deer all season and for several years? Oh yeah, yeah. And you know it's 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 hard because we lose a lot, so many of them. We've had lots of you know several two hunters before, and these are the first ones that I've that have shot because you know a lot of times even bucks that are you know we've had some that were probably 200 or over but they're only like four-year-olds it's going to be just you know but those are ones that could blow into the 240s and stuff like that and then you lose them sometimes they just disappear and don't show up again sometimes neighbors shoot them but it's not like we have one big piece you know whether whether advantages and disadvantages to having like like say a big 3,000 acre chunk in one spot you know you lose less of them probably to neighbors because you know more of them will stay on your property and you know you can hold them in the middle easier but the nice thing about it for what we have in Iowa here, we've got like, you know, almost 6,000 acres, 5,500 or something like that, but it's in 15 different farms. So most of them, you know, you got 300 acre farms, you got 200, you got some 100 acre farms, you got some 800, you know, and the thing is that you lose more of them to neighbors uh, when you have more like that, but you still, they're over, you know, spread out over three counties and you just get a bigger genetic pool, you know, usually on some farm you're going to find a superstar you know where if you said one piece you know it takes a while for good genetics to come around and, and come through and stuff that you know you can you can you know, might might take longer to get one of those real superstar deer where if you have more farms you're just pulling in more genetic sure. more genetics from a lot more different places so it's kind of you know it's one of those things that i don't know which one is is actually better so but uh, we'll find out because we just we just bought a place in Illinois that's a big chunk like that. Okay. Uh, me and some buddies, so we'll find out if it's better having one big piece or a bunch of little ones as far as genetics go. But, yeah, but, Bon, those two deer, I've been watching them for, you know, since they were two. And it's it's funny, both of them really blew up this year, but the first one really blew up. I mean, he was at, at you know, three. We thought he was a pretty good deer, just a 10. He had a couple stickers off the, coming right at the base of his two and kind of pointing backward. And then, like, at, you know, at four, he, he didn't really do much. And then at five, he really didn't do much. I mean, you, you get a lot of those deer, like, at three, you think, oh, they're going to be superstars. And they just never really get all that much bigger. And okay. I thought that was the case with him. And then all of a sudden this year, it's just like, bang, he just blew into 202. I mean, I got a shed from last year, and it was, like, 60-something inches on the one side, and it went to 103 on wow. that side. So, That's I mean, crazy. He's talking, yeah, but he split the beam kind of. So I don't know if it... it probably helped that whatever happened to it if it's just genetically or if he damaged it at the pedicle or something we're kind of split into a double beam almost and then we've seen that happen before too on some of them like with tiffany shot uh wally that deer was kind of almost a management deer you know but he got so old he's seven or eight years old and and uh you know he was maybe the best with maybe maybe 170 but then he kind of damaged that pedicle and it split into a big extra beam and everything and it was like 190s and that, that, that was at eight years old he had his best rack wow. so you just don't know you know on those and then the, the big one the 207 he was always big since he was two even he had all the stickers and stuff and at three and at four and this year you know he really blew again so he was just kind of making steady good jumps and you know even on that one i would like to have let him go another year but that was in a place where where he was getting to be so visible and it's, which is weird because I've hunted that farm, you know, hundreds of times and we've had pictures of him since he was two and nobody has ever seen him before. 
Okay. And then all of a sudden, late season last year, like after the season, like in January, February, March, we all of a sudden he was all over this little hidden field that I have. I mean, just hundreds of pictures of him. And then like this year, he wasn't there all summer again. And then I had just a couple pictures of him in you know, one, like one or two, maybe two pictures in velvet. And then we got to like November, started showing up in that hidden field again. And then he was so visible and, and there's a cornfield in this hidden field, but there's, yeah, I can see the neighbor's fence lines. Well, okay. It's right in the corner of our fence. And he, okay, all of a sudden he was so visible and I was just like trying the gun season coming in, you know, whatever it was the first week in December. And I was just in so a touch of panic to try to get him with my bow. Cause I didn't want to, I wasn't going to shoot him with a gun. I just wanted to only bow hunt him. And I was just, Oh my gosh, if he makes it, if, if I don't get him before the gun season, I have a feeling that he is not going to make it through that gun season. Because <laughs> okay. People just hover every fence line of every farm we have is just hovered with, with people, you know? So I was just, oh, I was so happy to get him at, you know, on the 29th of November, just a few days before that, I think the season opened December 2nd. So just a couple of days shy of it because uh, one of my real big ones, I had one that I've been watching for years at a different farm. He, would, he was much bigger. He would have been, he was probably 215 or 220, I'm guessing. And a neighbor hit him with a bow and he kind of thought he hit him in the shoulder or high. So we thought, okay, he should make it because of course he just jumped the fence right back into our place and followed him for a couple hundred yards and then just ran out of blood. He never laid down. He just did a big kind of a loop and, that he might be okay, but never saw him since, never a picture, so he must have died from it. So I'm assuming we'll find him. Well, that's too bad. Season, so. Yeah. Now, on, so, your, but, uh, you know, on your 207, um, how many close encounters did you have? I mean, is, is this a situation where you have lots of close encounters or you never had anywhere near a close encounter? Oh, I had a bunch. <laughs> There's a little three-acre um, uh, rack radish field that I have. That's a evolved product that I just, it's one of my favorite ones. There's certain times of the year when that rape and, and, and turnips and radishes just come on. And I said, that's a little hidden field that he was in late season last year. So I never really, he really wasn't on my radar early season. This, this other big one was. And this one, of course, he saw a picture of him like, well, he's a giant. But he, over the past years, we've never seen him. He said over three years of pictures of him and hunting that farm hundreds of times. Nobody has ever seen him. And so I just kind of think when I saw a couple of pictures, yeah, you get a couple of pictures and be random here and there. A couple, you know, you get one picture a month or two. Somebody's hard to go hunt a deer that, you know, shows up on your farm once a month, you know. So, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of where I really wasn't on my radar. So then we started getting a bunch of pictures of him again. And then some daylight ones even in that little hidden rack radish field. I started hunting the first day out there, I saw him in the woods, and it's, it's kind of a creek bottom, and it's maybe about 200 yards of woods, and then I got a big cornfield. So he was hanging out in that woods between the corn and the, and the rack radish field, but he was always just in the radish field. I never had a picture of him in the corn, I, I think, well, maybe one or two, but hardly any. But I saw him like nine times in 11 days. Wow. And it was just starting to get so frustrating because even though the field is small, it's like three acres, but it's round, and, you know, it's 120 yards all the way across. And you had to hunt it like on a south wind because like, if you were if you hunted on a north wind on the other side of the field where they come out all the time, it would be blown right into the woods where he's at. So yep. it had to be on the other side of the field for south winds. So he was out there a ton, you know, chasing does around and stuff. But always out at 70s and 80s and 90s and had you know, 120. And then one day we got up there and we got into the stand with him bedded with a doe in the grass on the other side of the field. 
saw him from the ground. We got all the way up in the stand. I said, this is looking good because there's a bunch, a couple other bucks around trying to harass that doe. And so they came out first. And all these other bucks were kind of around. And I said, okay, they're going to come out in the field and move him towards us. And that's exactly what they did. And so the doe just kind of started getting, all right, let's get away from these bucks. And she started walking kind of a nice angle right past us. They bring them like 20 yards past us. So she gets right, you know, in front of us and turns and comes right at the tree. So he's walking. He's turned right at the tree. So now he's facing me. She gets right to the base of the tree. And it's like smelling where we climbed, climbed up. in. Yeah. So she's, so she's starting to get nervous and stuff. And now he's at 20 yards. But he's facing, you know, straight onto us. So she starts stopping and, and you know, getting nervous and, and everything. We're like, oh, no, you know. And so she, then she just kind of started to walk off to the left. And, and so, okay, I'm just waiting for him to turn. And as soon as he, he kind of started to turn broadside, but then I have a limb in my, you know, right that comes out. That, so he's right behind the limb. And he gets out on the other side. I just start to move my bow up. And she just runs to the other side of the field. And he just runs and follows her. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. You know, they weren't really spooked. He didn't leave the field. And neither one of them did. They just went to the other side. And they fed in there until dark. You know, but it's only a three-acre field. But, you know, still, they're 120 yards over there. Just not much you can do. Yeah. You know, so just like, you know, I've heard that before. People say, oh, I had him at 20 yards. I couldn't get a shot. And you're always like, oh, come on. How can you not get a shot at something at, at 20 yards and stuff. Well, I found out how that can happen. <laughs> you know, yeah, just like, yeah. oh, I couldn't believe it. So then he really started getting under your skin. You know, you're like, seen this deer so many times. So then I moved to stand over on the other side, but, you know, not all the way across, but kind of just uh, off to the to the left where the wind would still be, you know, I still hunted on the same south wind, but I'd be a little bit closer to where they come out. And then I had them come out one time just chasing the doe, and the doe comes right over to, towards us, like maybe at 50 and he stopped on, he was just kind of feeding at 70. And then another little buck came and chased the doe. And she, they ran right back away from us out the other side. And we ran back chasing around that way. I was like, gosh, you know, just so many times that it was like, if anything would have just changed a little bit, you know, you would have had them. And so, yeah, you know, I said every day, you know, it started out with, well, I got, you know, 20 days before the gun season. And then pretty soon oh, I got 15 days. Well, I got 13 days. And now I got 10 days. And now I got seven days. It just counting down. I was like, oh my gosh, you're at that all the time in the world. But then after like that 11 day period, all of a sudden he stopped showing up and I was like, Oh no, he probably just, you know, got on a different doe. Who knows? He could be a, a mile away on a doe, you know? Yeah. But then I would go check the cameras and he was still on the cameras and now over in the cornfield more too. And, uh, but they're all at night and I said, well, that's okay. I mean, at least you're going to catch him in daylight. At least he's still, here. You know, yeah. Yeah. It. yeah. I said, as long as I know, he, and I know he's here. So you're going to catch him sooner or later. And so then we started getting more pictures of him on the cornfield. And then I was hunting the, you know, that, that rack radish field. And a lot of the, we still had as many deer coming into that, but they'd only feed for five minutes before they were feeding like through the whole, the whole month of November, they're feeding in there all night long. And now they're coming in for like 10 minutes and they'd go through the woods and they're going over the cornfield. So I said, okay. So I put a blind over in the corn over there, you know, earlier in the year. So I had that. And on Thanksgiving evening, I went out with Tiffany. We didn't have any camera guys here. They were at home, so just Tiffany and I and Buddy went out. And he came out in the cornfield. But he was, like, at 70 yards on the edge of the field. I said, okay, this is he. All he got to do is walk another 20 yards. But then he kind of chased the doe back into the timber. I was okay. like, well, at least I saw him, at least. And that was whatever the Thanksgiving day was, the 26th or 27th. And then we had south winds, and I was like, man, I can't hunt that blind. There's a tree stand right there, too. But now, now the wind is blowing right back into the timber where he, you know, where he always bedded. So we just did everything we could. We said, okay, we have to, we, you know, took all the scent killer stuff and, and washed it. 
and the washer and dryer, and then sprayed all the stuff and let it dry, and then resprayed it when we went out and used, you know, shampoos and everything. Dot in the eyes and, and cross in the T's. Yep, everything. And so we went out that day, and it was like, okay, well, once they're in the in the field, you're good with a south wind, but we just have to prevent, you know, ones from behind us blowing and blowing that field up. And we had so many does come up behind us, and some of them would, would you know, they, they always catch you. You know, they get wind of you. And, but since it's so slight, you did everything. Some of them would turn around, and just walk back. Some of them would just walk right underneath us and right out. And the later it got, you know, more deer start piling out in that cornfield, they would see out there and then they would just, well, there's deer out there, even though they smell something, it must be okay. So then they would just go and we got away with it, but we didn't see them. So at least I knew I can get away with it. So then the next day, I think it was the North wind behind the blind. We didn't see them. Then the next day on the 29th, we hunted that again. Same thing. We got away with it. We did everything we possibly could scent-wise. And all those, you know, does, still we got away with it. Some turned around, some walked right past us. And then right at, right at like, just after sunset, he goes walking down the road. He was behind us someplace, you know, but now he didn't come out directly behind us. He came out down who knows how far. But then he came, which walked along the standing corn and walked around the edge. And they shot, they shot him at 52 yards out there. And, just, and he was, it was funny. We have a, there's a big tree full of leaves right in front of us so if he gets too far past they're out you know it's done you know and he's walking and he got right past the, the first little branch and there's like the tiniest little hole and he was still walking but just slow he's like well it's now or never i can't you know it's waiting for him to stop i didn't want to i didn't want to run at him either to stop him because you know at 52 yards it's like you know they come alert that's the distance where they're gonna they duck and react to your yeah. arrow and and everything, so he just didn't want him alert at all. So he was just kind of slowly walking, you know, picking around in the in the cornfield, and just shot him while he was moving a little bit, but just smacked him perfect, and he dropped him right in the field. Okay, so I was yeah, it was it was a long one on that one, you know. It was like gosh, just so many days, you know, twenty some days of hunting him every single day and seeing him and encounters with him and having him, you know, right in front of you at twenty yards and. You were just starting to get to one of those things that were just, you're just getting obsessed with it. You know, so I'm glad I got them because that doesn't always happen that way. Now, in a situation when you're checking cameras and moving stands and, and going back and forth between different stands, do you worry about bumping them or having issues or not really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you always worry about it. And, like, when I go check cameras, a lot of times I'll just do it like I'm hunting in the morning. Then I'll just uh, drive it, you know, when I get out in the afternoons and stuff. But... You know, I think it really helps is that we live here and like all summer long, I'm out there every single day, you know, or at least two to three times a week. You're the farmer. You know, second camera. Yes. So I'm there all the time. They're used to my ranger going around. They're used to my truck. They're used to me. And they used to, you know, they get a nose full of Lee and Tiffany every single day you know, throughout <laughs> the summer. So then we kind of keep it that way, you know, during the hunting season, if I'm out there two times or three times a week, you know, checking my food pots, checking fields, my crop fields, you know, checking to see if the weeds are in, if it needs to be sprayed. You're always out there, you know, like at least two or three times a week. That's the way I try to hunt them too. So you're out there two or three times a week. So to a deer, it never changes. July is no different than November. It's the same amount of pressure and, you know, you know, people in there. So they get used to it. So, you know, going in there in the middle of the day and check in and, and stuff a couple of times a week, it really doesn't bother them at all. And even on that deer, I mean, I hunted them every single day. I mean, you hear that and people, oh, it must be nice to hunt a private farm with no pressure. It's like, no pressure. I mean, we, I mean, we hunt every single day where most people only get a chance to hunt on the weekends or whatever. So it's like, especially when you get on a deer like that, I mean, I hunted them 
every day for almost 20 to 30 days. You know, so that's where just getting in and getting out and waiting until it's pitch black, even in that little that little hidden field I'm talking about. It was nice because you had the, the wind, and most of them stayed out in that field. And then when it got real dark, I could sneak down and sneak straight away from it. We could get in and out of that, you know, with deer in the field. So, we, you know, we'd make – you put up stands thinking about, okay, how am I going to get in and how am I going to get out? And then that other stand that I hung, it's right on the creek bank, and it was so dry this year there's no water, and so you you climb down the tree and right into the creek bottom and then just walk the creek bottom out so you'd be okay. below, you know, you're 10 feet below ground level so you could walk in and out and stuff without getting spooked. So you really got to be careful on it, you know, but we just make sure we do. And then when we have, you know, it works really good when you have, you know, the, a blind in a cornfield because then you just walk down the rows of the corn and slip right in. You can you can walk in or out of a blind with 50 deer and turkeys in the field, you know, so it works really good that way. You get in and out without ever spooking anything. So we try to make sure that you have a good mix of you know, stands and blinds that you can you can hunt every day if you need to because you don't want to put too much pressure on them. But, hey, when you've got a big deer you're hunting, you got to stay after them. Sure. You, know, you can't. I just want it for any wind direction and something you have to be prepared for it that, you, you know, every day that you are not hunting them is a chance that you know, somebody else shoots them or that you're going to run out of time. How old does a buck have to be uh, for you to shoot him? I mean, is five and a half the the magical age? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to get him. You know, you'd like to move that to six, even or, or to seven. But right now, I'd say at, at five. You know, is what they have to be. And then, but there's still a lot of our five year olds that were like, "Hey, I'm just going to let them go another year." You know, there's some special deer like you know that you really have. You know, you really want to get or You think there's you know they didn't do anything from the years before. They're topped out. Um, possibly, or even management type deer. Everything has to be five. But then there's some that you just say, hey, let's let them go to six. We have several this year. You know, a lot of some of them went backward. They're not even they they're not as big as they were last year. Okay. And you know, we had such a drought this year, and it's just like, ah, is it because of the drought, or is it just because that just happens sometimes? You 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 get a lot of deer like at three. You think, oh man, they'll be giants, and it's their biggest rack. And then from then on till seven eight years old they're never as big as they were at three wow so you're just hoping that it just could be that was so dry this year and a lot of them just was their fours and, and you just think maybe just right at the end they just didn't finish out the way they normally would some of them had a bigger fours now this year they're a lot shorter on the fours and a little shorter in the main beams and things so hoping that's the case but it's kind of weird because some of them just really blew you know and some of them but still the majority of them uh and a lot of them didn't do anything or went backward even. So we live, we were leaving a lot of five-year-olds this year out there. Now this buck, how many inches do you think he grew then total between last year and this year? Well, he was still big last year, and I didn't find the sheds. I got pictures of him with one horn down, and then, you know, I, so I know the horns weren't too far, but they must have been on the neighbors, you know, where he dropped them, because I, I really scour this stuff and look. So it's hard to say for sure, but I'm guessing that he was, he probably put on 20-something inches. He's kind of the, he the same frame last year, kind of, kind of had the same stickers he just put on. You know, he, the fan really made it score good. I mean, he had really long beams, 27, 28, you know, so super long beams. And then just big mass. He's, you know, his, his, his circumference is at the base is like, uh, like six and three quarters, maybe at the smallest. But the biggest, you know, you get up by his brow, it's almost, it's almost eight inches by his, up by his brows. I mean, wow. he had you know, super big mass and okay. stuff. So, you know, whether he was, he certainly wasn't that massive last year. And like out on 
you know, out in the beams, he wasn't didn't have that much mass, but he had the kind of the same configuration with stickers and everything. But I would I would say that last year, you know, as a four year old, he was probably in the one eighties for sure. So you were totally suspecting that he would be a two hundred inch deer this year? Yeah, even looking at pictures, well, you know, looking at pictures of him, I just you know, I wasn't even I don't know, I it's you know, I really underestimate deer a lot. You know, that's why I like it, you know, because it's like I don't ever want to walk up to one and be disappointed. Ground yeah, you know, wow, that's bigger than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm pretty good at judging them. But on these, I was, you know, both the two that were 200, I was thinking they'd be in the 190s probably. If he would have asked me, I'd say, yeah, he's probably in the 90s. Okay. And then it's nice and you're pleasantly surprised on them. Now, how big was Tiffany's buck? Um, her first one that she shot with the muzzleloader was uh, 185. And I was thinking that I underestimated that one totally. Well, both of hers, too. But which is good. I was thinking he'd be like 170 in steer, but you get him on the ground. He's had way more mass and just long beams, 20, 26 inch beams. And he just had longer points and everything. Then you thought his body was so huge. And that's another thing. You know, some of our deer doesn't, you know, you get six year old deer that are just small bodied. I mean, they just look like a three year old. But you know, you've watched them over the years. And then you get some that are just giant bodies. So it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, and then, then when she shot that one with her muzzle, it was just such a huge body. And like, oh, man, he had way more mass and, and you know, longer beams than we thought. And that one was 185. And then this last one that she just shot um, with her bow, same thing. I mean, she hunted him a ton. And, you know, well she, well, she hunted that farm a ton. That's when she was hunting Wally and stuff. And she, this nine point was out all the time. I mean, he was so aggressive. They put out like a decoy and, you know, for this, for this other round 10, we called him. And this buck would come running in. She saw him like a hundred times when he was four. Okay. And then the next year, and he was like last year when he was five, he didn't grow a right side. Now, I, and I don't know if, if he broke it up because I didn't, there wasn't pictures of him in velvet. He wasn't there. He just came in like in October, which a lot of them do. Like when the crops come down, a lot of them just go out in the big crop fields. And when all the crops come down, they move in. And he never had that right side. So I, I don't know that if he grew it and then broke it off, like when it was in velvet or just coming out of velvet, or if it just never grew. But the other side, he put like, like six points on it, where it was just a four-point side last, you know, the year when he was four, with this little sticker between his his uh, his three and his beam. Screaming kids. And so, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the kids in here. You hear Reggie uh, <laughs> over there screaming. But uh, uh, he... He had like six points on. I was like, God, he a giant. I mean, you know, seeing him out there, just huge body. And, and, I, and though I only saw him one time out there, but we had lots of pictures of him. But he was another one of those that year. You'd get pictures of him all over, but you never saw him, even though we hunted out there a ton. And then this year, uh, so again, I got a couple pictures of him in velvet, and he was very sporadic. I mean, where, where he just was living in there at four. You, get, you, couldn't, you couldn't check a camera without him on it. Now he was very sporadic. So... We have a, a cornfield, and you go out there and check the camera. Oh, man, he's been out in that cornfield chasing those around in daylight, morning and night for two days. Tiffany, get out there. So she'd go out there and hunt for three, four days straight and never see him. And you check the cameras. Nope, wasn't in there after dark, nothing. And okay. it'd be two weeks, no pictures of him. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, he's back, the big nine. We call him Southpaw because he had the big left side. Yeah. And, uh, or, and last year he only had a left side. So then same thing. You go out there and hunt him for three, four days. Nothing, never see him. No pictures of him for two weeks would go by, not had a picture of him. So then we had a couple of pictures of him again in gun season. My buddy Tom Rolls was down hunting. So he hunted like seven days straight on that thing. 
just um, he's going to show up sooner or later, man. We've got cold weather, it ain't nothing. So then we go over to another farm, and Tiffany just happened to go pull some cards. And I look, it's like, that's Southpaw. I, I'm, this is three miles away. Three on miles, farms wow. Where her mom lives, yeah. So, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. But the, the thing was, like, when he, when Tom was hunting them for that week and didn't see him, I figured, well, it was a gun season. Somebody else shot him. One of the neighbors shot him. So we were thinking he was gone. So then when I got the pictures on, on the other farm, I was like, at least it was on the night of the 18th. So I was like, well, the gun season was over. So he made it through the gun season. So likely he's still alive because there's not that many people that bow hunt. And even if you do, it's, that's that much harder to kill him, you know? Yeah. So I was pretty excited about that thing. He was still alive. So a couple, and that was like, that picture was on the 18th, two pictures of him. And now it was, you know, a week later. And I was like, hey, let's go try, you know, Smith for, for the big nine. And her and Willie, the camera, both thought I was crazy. Like, well, why would we go over there? He was over on that other farm. I was like, I know, but there's not the food over there that there is on, on the other one. I just had a feeling he'd be back. And, uh, you know, so we went out and sat in the, sat in the redneck and, it was it was super cold, but we had a south wind that day. So I was like, let's go in the in the rednecks. We have sand and a blind up for north winds. But I was like, it's kind of nice with the rednecks. But I, you know, it was, it, we didn't think there's any way we were going to see them because deer were coming in. But there's all these blackbirds in there, and then there were some ducks flying around. The couple of ducks were trying to want to come down and land in that field, and they spook all the deer out. It's <laughs> like 4:15. You know, prime time. There's not a single deer in the field. You know, they'd all run off because they'd think ducks, and, you know, trying to trying to land. It's like, yeah, just, you know, of all the stupid things, you've never seen a, a duck, duck, you know, in our <laughs> lives out here. And there's two hen mallards trying to land in there, and they keep spooking the deer out of there. So, you know, it's like, well, we might as well, we could just go because we're not going to see any. But, you know, of course, you're not going to get out. But it's, you know, it's like sunset and not, not a deer out. And then, also, you know, some deer started filing back in again. And it's like, okay, you know, and, but most of the time they'd come out about, you know, a hundred yards away and then they just start kind of feeding around in there and it took a while from where they're all coming from to get over to us as like anybody comes out they're never going to get over in bow range for us you know by time of daylight and we had a couple of deer come from our our left you know kind of out of the woods behind us and i'll try to look over and boom i got there he is he just walked out like at 50 yards out of the woods right right beside us walked out to 45 yards and started to eat so okay. I mean, it's like you couldn't have asked for anything better i mean i opened the i opened the long skinny window on the side and he shot right out there and just smoked him right there and he ran out of the field across the road and into the woods and was right there so we got so lucky on that you know it's just we just didn't think we'd see him but it's just it's just it's amazing how how the deer you know why would he he lived his whole life right there and then all of a sudden three miles away on another one of our farms you get pictures of him but you know we've had that we have another deer we call flyers he's a big 10 that he's got big flyers off his off his twos and a big hook on the bottom he's on one of our farms for the last three years, all summer long, and you don't know why that he would leave because we have tons everything of food he there, needs. tons of dough, everything he would need, and then he goes over to the farm where I shot my big one, and he's there right now. We just saw him a couple of days ago, and he he goes over there in like the first week of, you know, October, last of you know September, somewhere in there, and then he stays over there all the way through sheds his antlers. But then next the next spring, he start you know. And summer, you start seeing these bucks, and you start to tell what they are. Bang, there he is. He stays over in that farm. But it's just weird. Just go to show you so many times that you have bucks that, you know, they just disappear. And you're like, well, I don't know. Somebody must have killed them. They must have shot. I don't know what happened to them. Sometimes they just, sometimes they just leave and go somewhere else. Yeah. And we just got yeah. lucky on those two that we owned farms, you know, close to each other. That, you know, what are the odds that a, a deer like that, like flyers, 
you know, to where he lives, two different places. We own both those farms, so, yeah, you know, three miles yeah. apart. And he was five this year, and he's really cool. We would have shot, we would have hunted him too, but he does it every year. He's got these two big flyers off his twos. And, you know, they were only like three or four inches last year, and he broke both of them off right away. And then this year, they were like eight inches, and he had a big, like, 10-inch hook out at the base too. So he's like a mainframe 10, not a real big frame, like maybe like a 150. And then with those, but he's got like two eight-inch flyers off his twos and this like a 10-inch hook out the front. I was like, man, that's a cool deer, just those big flyers. And, of course, then the first time we saw him, he had broken one off, and now he's got both of them broken off. So it was like next year, if he, if he st- sticks around, we know we just got to try to get after him early because if he puts any, you know, put those, those flyers get any bigger, they're really cool looking. What's interesting is, is a lot of people think when a deer disappears too is that maybe they screwed up or too much hunting pressure mm-hmm. or whatever, and this just proves that, no, they just sometimes move around. You know, it's you didn't yeah, do anything for sure. wrong. For sure, and we've had that before. Tom Roll shot a buck, you know, right behind our house here. Um, a few years back and all summer long, we had pictures of him over on another farm that we have three miles from here. So, I mean, it's just, it's odd, you know, because there's, you know, you look at, you think, okay, we have good farms, but so does everybody else. I mean, everything around, like my neighbor's farms are no different than mine. Yeah. You know, they're just trees and dirt, you know, the deer cross back and forth and they go out, you know, they go wherever they want to. And it's like, you know, just why would they, why would they go from one place to another, you know, three miles away? Why, you know, if they wanted something different, if there's too much, sometimes I think, you know, you know, with all our, you know, food plots and stuff, you get a lot of deer in there. And sometimes those older deer, you think maybe just don't want to, they just don't want to be around that many deer. They're more loners. They can move. Okay, but why did he move three miles? Why wouldn't he just go across the street over there or something? You know, you, you yeah. just wish you could yeah. figure them out. But that's what's so fun about hunting whitetails because you can never figure them out. And once you think, I mean, you might be able to figure some of them out, but they're like people. Every one of them is so individual, and they're all different. You're never going to use the same strategy to kill every deer. That's for sure. They're all different. Now, what did this one score, the latest one that Tiffany killed? That was 174 and 3 eighths. Okay. So, I mean, Sam, you're talking just for a basic nine-point frame, you know, but that one had 28-inch beams. I mean, that's the longest beams out of any deer we've ever shot. I mean, I had one of them on, one beam on my big one was was right at 28 but you know both beams like 28 inches and big mass to the whole thing and you know that's giant for a nine i was thinking he'd be like 160 inch deer and you get him on the ground and like man he's look at those beams <laughs> you know? wow so that was yeah it was a great archery kill now sure. at this point you guys have been on tv for a long long time and been killing big bucks for a long long time do you guys get buck fever anymore or is it you just go into kill more? oh yes Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because like on that big one, it's funny because even Brandon was like, "Man, I never seen you get because you know start breathing so heavy, like about ready to hyperventilate." Goes, Man, I can <laughs> tell you were excited about it. I know it. You know, like the first time that he came out, like you know, when I saw him the first time, I went and looked for that deer. I said, "You know, I wasn't seeing the big one that was hunting after my neighbor hit him. Like I'd hunted him for a couple weeks and passed on some other big ones too that I probably shouldn't have because I just was hoping he'd be alive and then we got to the point where it got to get into two weeks and you're you know you're prime part of the rut and everything you're like ah you would get a if that deer was still alive you'd get a picture of him you know you're talking you know through the whole month of November first week and you know into the second week of November now you'd get a picture of him. they'd be on their feet hitting scrapes or you know checking does out something so I was like I'm just gonna go over and just check because we started getting some pictures of him on there 
the first time when I saw him, you know, I saw him in the woods, you wouldn't have been, we certainly would have been excited if he would have come into the field and stuff, but, you know, I wasn't near as excited as when I shot him. And, and a lot of that is just because all the time that you put in on him and all the times encounters and everything else and the, and, you know, it seems like the more you get into one, the more nervous you get when yeah. you do see him because, you know, you've, you know, they've outsmarted you, just got lucky so many times before that. It seemed like just builds and builds and builds. And when the thing came out, I mean, about hyperventilating, I just, you know, <laughs> a lot of times I just, I, I do a lot. A lot of times I just tell the camera guys, just get some footage of him. But it's mostly me not waiting. You know, it's not necessarily, I make it sound to him like, Hey, let's just get some good footage to make sure for the show. But it's more just trying to calm myself down, get my breathing under control before I shoot, you know, especially if they're just out there feeding and you got time. You know, it seems like if they're, if they're in the timber, like in the rut, and they just come chasing a doe by, never, you don't really have time to get nervous. Like, oh, there he is right there. And you pull back and shoot, and you don't really think about it. But when you see him coming, you know, if they're just walking slow in the woods or in a field or something, that's when you, you know, it's like start hyperventilating. And then it's like, okay, give me, I need time. Let me get this under, my breathing under control so I can, you know, really think clearly and get a good shot off at him. I, I, but, oh, yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I notice you guys take... uh some longer shots, so to speak, you know, the average whitetail guy oh, yeah. just taking a 15 or 20 yard shot, you know, kind of explain that at what range do you practice in the summer to make sure you're ready for those 50 yard shots? Well, I usually never, I shoot very few arrows under a hundred, which is sounds kind of weird, but, um, you know, I have an elk target out at a hundred yards and it's got eight in circle and, and you by the end of the summer, or, you know, most of the summer, I'll never miss that eight inch circle normally on that thing. Um, and the reason I shoot at a hundred and I really should start shooting farther, but that's just as far as the fence goes. So I think I got to move more kitty corner because Tiffany's bought me a sheep, uh, you know, a big sheep target. Okay. So I got to put that on and put it a little bit farther, you know, and just maybe be practicing more like at 130 and getting really dialed in on that. And the reason that is, is because, you know, if you go shoot at 20 and you're, you know, half an inch off of the dot, on there, you think, oh, that's a pretty good shot. But you might shoot that same shot at 100, and you see, oh my gosh, I was three feet off. That was yeah, a terrible yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. So, but and when you're doing that, just shooting at 20, if you have something bad going on, if you're torquing or you're, you know, you're you're doing something, that's what your muscle memory is going to be. You're just going to keep doing that and doing that and doing that. But I shoot at 100. There's a fence there, and then it goes into a big CRP field. So if I miss that elk target, you're not finding your arrow. <laughs> I mean, odds are you're not finding it. I mean, it's sailing it into that tall, you know, four foot tall CRP field. So every shot you think, okay, it's, it's more almost like a hunting situation where, okay, I gotta, I don't want to miss this thing. You know, so every shot you're taking your time, you're looking at your bubble, you're squeezing it off. And if you flinch one, a little bit at a hundred, you're missing the target, Yeah. you know, or yeah. almost missing it for sure. But so that's what I want my muscle memory to be. I want to, every time, every shot I take, I look at the bubble, I'm taking my time, I'm making sure everything is perfect, my grip is perfect, my release is perfect, and you're shooting. So that's what I do all, you know, all year long. And so that's what my muscle memory is. And that's, so when I go to shoot, it's just automatic. That's, that's what happens. You don't, th- you don't think about it when there's a deer out there. You're not thinking, okay, is my bubble right? Is this right? You, 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 you know, I mean, you totally lose your mind. Yeah. Uh, even after I shot this last one, um, where did you put the pin on it? And how was your, was your, you know, housing in right and perfectly inside your peep? I don't know. I, I don't even, I don't, 
I, I couldn't tell you the slightest thing about it. I don't even know if I drew my bow. <laughs> you, know, you don't remember anything. So, but it's that, that's where your muscle memory takes over. Because when a deer's there, you're not thinking about that stuff. But I'll guarantee you, just my, my bubble was good. And I guarantee you, I looked at all that stuff because that's what I always do. I don't remember doing any of it. But that's my muscle memory. That's the way that I, I spent all summer shooting. And, of course, you know, I have you know, my tape. My, I go through and I shoot my 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, just to make sure everything is on, you know, a couple times, you know, maybe once or twice a week. But mostly it's just always at 100. And, and when you shoot at 100, then, you know, your 50 yards seem close. It's like, your, you know, 50 is like my new 20. Now, it's like if I was just going to go sit there and just pound arrows, I'd just shoot them at 50, you know, instead of not 20. Because 20 is just like, you know, that's you know, automatic. So it's like, you know, 50 now is, is the new 20. But that's the reason you shoot farther. And now when they come into 50, you know, you have to worry about, about them, you know, ducking. And that's, so that's, you know, the only thing I really worry about. And like on this one, it's like, you know, when he was, he was walking, so I'm not going to stop him because then they'll look and they'll stop and be alert of something. I just want him to be relaxed, you know, just doing the thing, walking. And, you know, that new track is so quiet. And with the AAE, the Stealth Max veins, I mean, we shoot all of them. I shoot different arrows and vein combinations and stuff all summer. And you can listen to them and see how loud they are and everything like that. And that's like the quietest setup that I've ever shot. And he never flinched, you know, he didn't never even, never even heard it. So, you know, you just, those are the things you got to take into account when you're shooting farther. But, you know, we spent, you know, uh, six weeks on the road on the West, you know, for mule deer and sheep and elk and stuff like that. And those, you know, if you're going to sheep hunt and think you're going to shoot, get a 20 or 30 yard shot at a sheep, you might as well stay home. Doesn't happen. I mean, not that you... Not that you couldn't, not, I mean, I've heard of it happen maybe once or twice, but I'm telling you, I mean, you have to be prepared for that. So then when we come back home, it's like, you know, I, like I said, I had the big one out at 70 yards and, and, and stuff. And those are, those are the yards that like, goes on a mule deer or something. They go, yeah, I'm shooting that. But you know, even for white tails, I don't because they can be a little bit more skittish. So, you know, I try to keep them, you know, at 50 to, to 60 in there. Although that, the, yeah, the first one was at 60, that first big one. Okay. But, you know, when I got out there, I knew I was going to, it was going to be that far. But, you know, again, he hardly twitched by the time that I got there on it. It was so windy and it was raining and stuff too. And, and, and that was in a redneck as well. So, you know, that the redneck holds a lot of sound in for, with your bow too. So and that was, you know, farther. But, you know, you just got to shoot to where you feel comfortable with. And, you know, we've hunted long enough and, you know, for shot enough deer they know you know when they're alert and when you can shoot and when they're going to react to your arrow and where to aim for if they're going to react and and things like that you just practice for for all that and you know if you're going to shoot you know, only animals at 20 or 30 yards heck you could you'd cut down the animals that have shot by two-thirds for sure wow maybe more than that you know so it's just Everyone has their own comfort level, and you just have to figure out where that is for yourself. Hunting food plots like you do, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that, you know, you really have to be able to extend your range because you're not always hunting in, in timber where you're hunting over a runway 20 yards away. Right. And, you know, we hunt in the timber, you know, quite a bit as well. And even though even in the timber, it isn't always, you know, 
real close. And, you know, a lot of our food plots, we had to design them when we dose them out and make them like, you know, in like figure eight shapes. And so there's always a, you know, you want a pinch point in there, but it's just not always possible. Like this one that I kind of in the big one, that, that was just a field that was already there and it's, you know, three acres, but it's totally, it's just round. So it's like 120 yards across. You don't always have it. And a lot of times I'll put a, and I meant to do it this year too, put a rubbing post out there because a lot of them that are fields like that, I'll put a rubbing post on it and I'll go around clip off, you know, they make scrapes on the edges. I'll clip off the licking branches so they don't have them and just clip off an existing one and put it in that rubbing post and then try to get them all using that rubbing post. So at least if they come in and want to hit the scrapes or, you know, within bow range of you, they just, you know, it's got so much to do that, you know, we have a farm in Illinois. I got to get down there and do all that stuff. And you know, 15 farms here, it's just wow. I get done what I can get done in a year. I, I work on food first and then, you know, then, you know, hinge cutting and all that kind of stuff. There's just so much that goes into it and planting apple trees and pear trees and things. So you just, you can't get everything done that you want to. So just work, you know, dust till dawn, dawn till dust every day and just get done what I can get done. And that's the best I can do. So it's not all play everything, time. Don't get to everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Now with two kids, it's, that's taking up a lot of time. I take Cameron with me everywhere. So, it, so it's so much fun, but it slows me down a lot, you know, you got to you get changing diaper time and <laughs> nap times and bringing them back for lunch time and stuff. I used to just stay out there all day. So it's, it's tougher to get everything done, but I certainly have a lot of, a lot more fun doing it with, with him, with me in the tractor. He'll spend eight hours a day in the tractor with me. So, but you know, got to bring the car seat to put in the, in, in the buddy seat in my tractor. He takes a nap right in the car seat in there and you got to bring a lunch and then you got to take him out and let him run around you know, during the, the day, time to get some exercise in and, and stuff. So it slows me down, but we have a blast doing it. Living the dream. Yeah, it is fun. It's definitely, he just, he's all about some tractors. We'll tell you that. And you guys are headed out today, so I won't take too much more of your time. <laughs> yep. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to do the interview and congrats on having a, a banner season. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it good uh, talking with you. Yeah. Uh, good luck today. Thanks. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. It was great having Lee Lakoski on the show. He is definitely a wealth of knowledge when it comes to chasing big bucks. On next week's show, we're going to have Chris Parrish. Chris is probably best known for turkey calling. He's won many, many titles with the National Wild Turkey Federation. He killed a 189-inch eight-point buck on public land in Kansas. So we're going to discuss his tactics and how he was able to zero in and eventually kill this monster buck. In the meantime, if you could do me a favor and get on iTunes or Google Play and subscribe to the Drop Time Report, I'd appreciate it. For more information on me, visit TracyBreen.com. Until next week, have a great day. Bye-bye.